Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21, says this. Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. This would be Gentile land. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever felt like God was not answering you a word? And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. So he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he's describing the mission he was on, that the Messiah was going to come, and it was going to come for the people of Israel, the Jewish people. Jesus basically limited his ministry. He never went outside of Israel, except for right now in the Gospels, because his ministry was dedicated to the Jews. I've only been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Señor, ayúdame. Amen. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread. And here comes the difficult saying, and I'm about to say it. And it's difficult, and it's offensive, and it's harsh. And this is hard to internalize. But he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This passage made headlines in the last couple of years because a somewhat influential guy on social media was claiming that Jesus Christ was using a racial slur for this woman and calling her a dog. That as a man against a woman, as an oppressor against an oppressed, as a Jew against a Gentile, that he was using a racist slur to speak to this woman as he called her a dog. And he said that what Jesus does in this passage is that basically she speaks truth to power and calls him out and Jesus repents of his sin to her. And the question, of course, was, did Jesus actually sin? And was Jesus actually a racist that was being repentant in this setting? And I am going to let you know right off the bat, it's way better than that. But what is going on here? That's where we're going to go as we chew on this verse, this saying today, don't throw the children's food to dogs. Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Slap someone high five. Say, what's up, dog? I literally saw that on a bumper sticker this week. It said, legalize up dog. <laughs> Don't throw the children's bread to dogs. Imagine being this woman that's being called a dog. But before that, let's back up, and I want you to imagine what it's like to be a woman that's living in Canaanite territory. This is pagan territory just outside of, of Israel, and your daughter is sick. Now, I don't know if any of you that have kids, how much you would do for your child, but I bet you would do just about anything for your child. 
and your child is sick, you'll do almost anything for your sick child. Some of you have gone to great lengths and spent great amounts of money to get your child and travel soccer and travel baseball and travel volleyball. And, and if you're honest, a lot of us, our kids are average talented, but they're going to get way above average help and their, and their stuff. And of course, no one believes that their child is just average, but I'm, I'm just, you know what I'm saying. It's, it's the self-serving bias. Everyone thinks that they're way above average, but the average person is average. <laughs> but no one likes to be called that. But I want you to imagine with me that, that your daughter is, is infirmed and your daughter's got a problem and she says my daughter's demonized, which means not only is her problem physical, it's actually spiritual. And and there's some of you that might need to hear this. This, isn't what, this is not the sermon today, but there are spiritual realities as well as physical, and there are some problems that cannot be explained or diagnosed simply by being physical, which is why a doctor could say, we've got no explanation, and there could be something going on further than what you know. There are some of you listening to me now, and you need something physical, and there are some of you that need something spiritual, and I've got great news. Jesus can do something about both. But can you imagine what she's gone through in trying to bring a solution to her child living in this pagan land? I would not be surprised if she has exhausted her resources to do whatever it's going to take to fix her child. And her child has not been fixed because evil does not cast out evil. And darkness does not cast out darkness. And paganism will not cast out that which paganism often causes. And so she apparently hears the reports that some Jewish healer is staying in her town. Now, this would be very, I don't know, rare, possibly unheard of, because Jews had very little to do with Gentiles, especially Jewish holy men. And, and I want you to imagine that she has heard the story that he is staying in some area there, and there is Jesus coming into this place. And I, I don't know about you, but like, let's say you, your child had a heart condition and you found out that a world-renowned heart doctor was staying near you or was staying at the Hampton Inn or staying at the, the Marriott or something. Would you not be tempted to go ahead and crash the Hampton Inn and just wait and stalk the heart surgeon to say, please do something for my girl? Wouldn't you? And so she does. She's she comes and the scripture says that he's withdrawn to this place and this woman comes up to him and she, she bows down and she cries out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She's even acknowledging his messiahship. Son of David would have been the title of the Messiah of Israel. There's a level of her recognizing as a pagan Gentile that this is the Jewish Messiah. That was a phrase that was going with that. She's recognizing something in there. She says, O son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, have mercy on me. Now, that's, that's kind of a humble statement, it seems. And it says, but he said not a word. He answered her not a word. What do you do when God gives you the silent treatment? <laughs> what do you do when people give you the silent treatment? Well, I know what most of us do. We, we harden our hearts and say, if that's how you're going to treat me, then that's how I'm going to treat you, don't we? I mean, it's quid pro quo. It's you reap what you sow. It's I'm going to give you what you deserve. This Jesus is giving her the silent treatment. And, and if it ended there, the story would be over. And if we're honest, that's where most of us end. We pray a prayer. It doesn't get answered. We say, well, I tried. I did that. I've been there. I've done that. It did not work. Let me just give you some good news today. Some of you have given up on something you never even tried yet. 
Because a lot of us thought the message was, go and ask God a little something, something. If he doesn't answer in 30 minutes or less, if it's not like a Domino's pizza delivered, then it's not going to happen. There are some of you that I'm about to invite to get a little more like a dog on a bone desperate today. And I'm going to make you a promise that there are some of you that today something's going to shift where you're going to know, okay, wait a minute, maybe it hasn't happened yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen because this is the God who answers. So she keeps on coming to Jesus and the disciples say, send her away. Like she's bothering us. I mean, I want you to imagine like the, the Greek tense that this, this passage, it's going out of its way that you don't catch it in English, but in the Greek that this is written, it's a present progressive. Like in Spanish, we'd say, yo, ella estaba hablando. That'd mean like she was talking and talking. Estaba gritando. She was crying out and crying out. She, she kept on crying out. She, she continued to cry out. To the, imagine if there was a heckler in the room that said, oh, give me some food. Give me some food. Give me some food. Eventually, the disciples are like, send her away. She's bothering us. And then Jesus breaks down a theological explanation when he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's letting her and them know that he appropriately is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy where the Messiah was going to come to the house of Israel. Now, what many of them did not know was that there was embedded in Old Testament prophecy words that the Messiah would not just be a light to the Jews, but he would actually be a light to the Gentiles, but they did not know that and they couldn't yet hear that. And yet he is what he's doing is reinforcing this, this limited mission, you might say, where he's letting her know, listen, woman, I need you to understand. It's not about you. And, and by the way, I need to tell some of us this. It's not about you. And I realize every room we walk in, we kind of feel like we're watching like The Office or one of those shows where there's a camera following. Every room you walk in, the camera always follows you, which makes you tempted to think it's all about you. And he's letting her know, hey, woman, sometimes it's not about you. I only came for the Jews. I didn't come for the Gentiles right now, is what he says to her. But she came and knelt before him. She kept on, she says, Lord, help me. Everyone say, Señor, ayúdame. She says, Lord, help me. And then he breaks the silence to her and says, woman, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. There's food for the dogs. And it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, the question is, what do you do when Jesus calls you a dog? What do you do when anybody calls you something you don't want to be called? Because let's get clear. Sometimes, I don't know that any of us are hearing God's voice clearly say, Mira, perrito. Look, dog. I, I know we don't hear that, but let's face it. When life treats us in ways that we don't like, we feel like we're being treated like a dog. When God or the universe or life or your family or your church or your country or your friends, they treat you like dogs. How do you act when someone, when life is calling you a dog? I know what we do because when we are, the, the, I've, there's probably never been a more offendable culture than we have right now. We are offended and offended and offended. And when life calls you a dog, it is offensive and harsh and mean and cruel and so we, we peace out, and we quit, and we're done, and we cancel, and we call out. 
And Jesus calls her a dog. <coughs> and there's, and there's a, an interesting thing about this. I mean, this has been a debated passage for 2,000 years because people are like, well, he couldn't be saying this because... And, and we even try to get Jesus out of the trouble of this passage. And, and some have noted that the Greek word for dog here is, it's kind of like a puppy. Like you can use the word like there's a dog. And then there's like a little dog, like un perrito versus un perro. You know, like there's this idea of, of, a, of a doggy. And it's like, but let me just tell you though, whether it's a dog, doggy, puppy, greyhound, you name it. There is not a good word in the Bible mentioned about dogs. In the Bible, every time the word dogs get mentioned, there's one overwhelming theme in Scripture about the dogs. Dogs are unclean. Now, I know I'm talking, how many, let's just do the quick survey just so I understand. How many of you guys have a dog? Raise your hand if you got a dog. All right. How many of you guys have let your dog eat off your fork before? Who's ever done that? All right. There's, all right, about, yeah, about half of you. Okay, there it is. That's great. Lovely. I've even seen some of you French kiss your dogs. They come up and you're like, hey, little buddy, you know, and they're just kind of. Let me, let me, I, I get it, like as, as Americans with our little house pets that we have, it's hard for us to relate to how in Scripture from cover to cover, dogs represent uncleanness. And it feels, like the, the story feels, when Jesus calls her a dog, it feels like, is this racism? And I got to tell you, it's not. She keeps on coming and he, he calls her this dog. Now, you're, you're not going to understand this unless you, and to be honest with you, unless you re, always read the Bible in its context. This is Matthew 15, 21. And before this passage starts, right before this, Jesus is having drama with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are arguing with him about what defiles people? What makes people clean or unclean? Right before this is where Jesus is, is breaking down some of this classic teaching where he says it's, it's not what comes out, uh, not, it's not what comes um, in, the, in the mouth, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles someone. These are what defiles someone. But to, to you know, go around with unwashed hands, that's not what defiles someone. In other words, the, the Pharisees were arguing with this, this, this long-standing debate that Jews had about what makes something clean or unclean. And, and if you didn't wash your hands, you were unclean. But there was one thing above all that really made someone unclean, and that was to be born a Gentile. Which is why Jews would not even sit down to eat with Gentiles. And Jews wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles. They're like, oh, no, no, there, there's nothing you can do. You, you're, just, you're just by nature, you're, a, you're, you're dirty by nature. And, and so Jews had nothing to do with them. And the big debate was clean and unclean. And Jesus tries to make the point, don't you get it? It's not how you were born that makes you clean or unclean. It's what's going on in your heart that makes you clean or unclean. But they're arguing, they don't seem to get the point, and it is just beautiful irony that Jesus' next move is to leave Israel and go to a Gentile place called Sidon and Tyre, full of Gentiles and Canaanites and pagans and idol worshipers and very unclean people that the Jewish people called dogs. And to that setting, he now comes and says, woman, I'm not going to throw the children's bread to dogs, to which she now does the unthinkable, where most of us would get offended and rejected, angry and bitter. We'd yell and we'd scream and we'd leave and we'd post about Jesus on social media, just like this guy did. We would go and do those kind of things. Instead, she does something that causes him to say, oh woman, great is your faith, be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very moment. 
Now, church, this is a very simple sermon today that I'm trying to get us to believe like her. I want to get us to be like her. I want you, when you're looking at your heroes in life, to say, that is one of my heroes. It's this woman. And the reason this matters so much is because there's so many of us that our children are not getting healed because we have not learned this lesson. And the blessings are not being received because we have not learned this lesson. And there are so many promises of God that do not come true in our lives because we've missed this amazing message right here. What this woman does when she is ignored. What this woman does when she could have been offended. What this woman does when she seems to get rejected. But mark my words, when God seems to be disappointing you in the short run, it's only because he's preparing to redeem you in the long run. And this woman is going to get something better than she has even bargained for, better than she can even imagine. And her, her response to Jesus, he calls her a dog, and her response is amazing. And here it is, right there. It's, it's really the secret of the passage. It's right here in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord. Can everyone just say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. I agree. You call me a dog. You're right. Yes, it really, the whole sermon could be called this. Yes, Lord, yet. Because that's what it says. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs get crumbs from that table. And Jesus said, you got it. What is it about her faith? It, it is a persistent, stubborn assertive, humble, meek, modest, I won't give up kind of faith. And I dare you to get it until the rain comes down. <laughs> so how do we get that kind of faith? Two points today and then we're done. Number one, you get that kind of faith, number one, by getting more humble in your estimation of yourself. We need to be more humble in our estimation of ourselves. Let me say it differently. Your ego has to take a hit. Woman, I'm calling you a dog. Now, when you get called a dog, here's what we say. How dare you? And she says, you're right. Now, dog didn't, this was not a racist comment. This was a theological comment. It was a comment that you are unclean. You are in sin. You need the God of the Hebrews. And she says, Jesus, you're right. I'm unclean. I don't belong at your table. I don't belong in your kingdom. I don't deserve to get my prayer answered. I don't deserve to even come near you. I don't deserve to come. You're right. She wasn't offended. She wasn't distraught. She, I, I even hate to use this word because it's like a triggering word. She wasn't entitled. As long as you feel entitled, you can never be grateful because you're never grateful for what you think you deserve. See, we need to get more humble in our estimation of ourselves. It's so hard for us to admit that we've got a little canine inside of us, that there's, like a, dog, that there's a dog in us. Look at your neighbor. Say, what's up, dog? 
I, my daughter, I have eight kids, and my daughter Samara was, we were playing the wiffle ball in our front yard, and she was, she was throwing the, the ball to have some of the younger siblings hit, hit the ball. And she threw it, and, and they missed it. And so she threw it again, and they missed it. And she threw it again, and they, like 10 straight times, they missed it. They finally threw the bat down. They said, Samara, you're a terrible pitcher. <laughs> and I was there, and her pitches were just about perfect. How prone we are to swing the bat and miss and to blame it on the pitcher. How quick we are to recognize, even when we're wrong. I mean, it's, it, it, we're all like these little politicians running around. Yeah, but what, the what about-ism? Like, yeah, maybe I am a dog, but, but at, least I'm a, at least I'm a golden retriever. <laughs> at least I'm not a, a mutt. At least I'm not a boxer. At least I'm not whatever something else is. See, the, let me tell you about the Bible. The, the Bible does not give us a complimentary picture of our condition as humans. The Bible describes us like lepers. Lepers don't just have scabs. Lepers are unclean. In our sin, left to ourselves, we are, it's not just a scab. We're sick. It uses words like depraved. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 17, you don't need to turn there, but it says about humans about our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to understand you. Our hearts, they deceive ourselves. Your heart's going to tell you, you're not a dog. You're not unclean. There's nothing. I mean, I've heard many people say this. There's nothing wrong with me. Friends, let me tell you, there is a lot wrong with me. And Jesus said, I did not come for those that think they're well. I only came for those that, need they, that they know that they need a physician. And Jesus is a physician for those who know they need a physician. But if you're still standing on your laurel saying, my heart is just fine, your heart will never be cleansed. But the moment that you say, my heart is wicked, it's odd. God makes it right. It's amazing how he does this. In the book of Ephesians, we see a little more of the picture of of the way humans are described and the way that God describes humanity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it says, I testify, you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are, and this is our condition, they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were all, everyone say all of us, we were all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now the word wrath, it means like punishment, it means condemnation, it means that, that I know when your child, like when, when each one of my children was born, they're so innocent and, and they're so precious all you need to do is let them live for a little while and it becomes clear they are children of wrath. Now you could say, well, Mike, that, that doesn't say, I, I didn't come to church to have someone call me a dog. Welcome to her life. She didn't go to the Messiah to be called, I feel like you're calling me a dog. I am. And I'm not. Because you were made in God's image. But God's image has been broken. And that image that's been broken has led us to a, an unclean state left to ourselves. And we cannot clean ourselves up. 
They say the first step of overcoming addictions is when an addict says, I admit I have a problem. I admit I have an issue. I admit I can't control this drinking. I can't control these drugs. I can't control these pain pills. I can't control this gambling. I can't control this porn. I can't control. It's when someone finally admits and they come like she does, Señor, ayúdame. Lord, help me. I'm drowning. I cannot save myself. There's, there's a humble estimation of ourselves that we need. And yet, most of us, when we get called a dog in one form or another, what we say is, I am not a dog. Someone says, bro, you seem like you're spending too much time on your phone. I'm not addicted to my phone. I'm not addicted to these pain pills. I'm not, I'm not addicted to this love. I could quit whenever I want. I'm not gossiping. I'm expressing righteous indignation over injustices in the world around me. Hey, bro, seems like you, you got some problems here. Yeah, but what I'm doing, it's not worse than anybody else, says every dog in the pound. See, what's wild to me is Jesus calls her a dog, and she says, Lord, you're right. There's someone that's listening to me right now that today is going to be day, the first day of the rest of your eternal life, because today you're going to say to God, God, you're right. I'm a sinner. I'm unclean. I need help. And you kept on saying, what I'm going to do is clean myself up, and then I'll come to God, and, and I'll get a little bit better, and then I'll join the church or something. And unbeknownst to you until maybe this moment, you cannot clean yourself. Only God can do it. And God literally speaks one word over you, and he makes you clean. It's wild. But it only happens, watch, in Luke chapter 14, verse 11, Jesus describes this. He says, everyone who exalts themselves is going to get humbled, but whoever humbles themselves will be exalted. It's wild. The longer you insist on your own goodness, the longer you insist on your own worthiness, the longer you insist on, no, no, I've done nothing wrong, the more unclean you remain. But the, the moment you're willing to just humble your church, I'm telling you, if ever there was a vision that the church needs right now, you know what? If someone was asking, hey, Mike, what's the direction of Greenhouse? I'll tell you what it is. We want to be a humble church. In, in a world of like celebrity culture and celebrity churches and celebrity preachers and celebrity Christians and everyone's posting all their cool stuff online and, and I mean everything, like everything is out there for everyone to see. We boast about everything on our phones. and all, It's like if ever there was a need, we need the church to look like our humble master again. How do we get this woman's kindness? Number one, we get more humble in our estimation of ourselves. She starts by coming humbly, but that's not enough. If all you do is come humbly, that'll never be enough. Then we need more awe or, 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 or adoration or, oh my God, look at you, in our estimation of God. We need more awe in our estimation of God. There needs to be a level where we realize this woman comes to Jesus and he gives her the silent treatment. She keeps coming to Jesus. He kind of puts her off. She keeps coming to Jesus. He calls her a dog. She says, you're right. I'm unclean. But even the dogs, even the dogs get the crumbs. I, I, I don't just want the dog food. I want the crumbs of this. In other words, this is her way of saying, Jesus, there's something about your table I'm, come, I'm a pagan, and I've seen very little, but the little bit that I've seen, there's something that I recognize. There is something about the table of Jesus that is better than any other table I've ever been at. There is something about your table, Jesus, 
There's something about whoever you are and your promises and, and your name. And I've tried witch doctors and I've tried regular doctors and I've tried my paganism and I've tried all, I've tried all this. Stuff. I don't know if any of you have tried a lot of stuff. She has slept with the men and she's tried out the stuff and she's got a child that's still leaving her empty and here she comes and she's at the master's table and she sees something about his table that literally even the crumbs from this table are better than anything else she's ever seen. Church, I feel like I have barely scratched the surface on God's kingdom. In the barely that I've scratched, there are moments, it'll be like one minute in the presence of God is better than, David would say, the psalmist would say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand somewhere else. He would say, I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd, I'd, I'd rather be the butler in the kingdom of heaven than a king outside of the kingdom of heaven because butlers in the kingdom live lives like kings could only imagine. And, and doorkeepers, like the, the joy of God's presence of just being a doorkeeper. I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Like I'd rather just, I would just to get the residue of the house of the Lord, just to smell the aroma of God's presence. She's like, I don't know what it is. Like literally the crumbs are enough. A crumb from your table is enough for my daughter. The stuff that people spend millions of dollars on. I know, the, do you see the faith that this woman has? What she's saying is your crumbs are better than all the resources of the United States medical system. Church, can you see that? Can, can there be something in you that's like, like Psalm 103, when, and, and this is really what I'm kind of looking for here. In Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not. Don't forget the benefits. Don't forget what bread is at this table. Don't forget what table you're coming to. Don't forget that when we gather together and we take communion, don't forget what this means. Don't forget the benefits. Don't forget the promises. Don't forget the inheritance. Don't forget the blessings. Don't forget the stuff that he brings. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits. Well, what are those? He forgives all of your iniquities. How many? Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Do, do you know, do you see what's at his table? Every one of your sins, gone. All of your shame, gone. All of your sicknesses and diseases healed. Your life redeemed. Your head lifted. Your youth renewed. Strength, vigor, energy. This is why you'll find people in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. They come in the presence of God and they get animated by the presence of God. You'll talk to 19-year-olds sometimes who are, it's like they're dead and dying. And you've got 80-year-olds like Peter Pan flying around in the spirit realm because the presence of God has come upon them. Church, forget not the benefits of the Lord. I mean, by the way, I, I, was, I was just going to cover it in one week. I, one of the benefits of the Lord that she's seeming to pick up on, Jesus says, it's not right. You're asking for a healing. It's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. Let me make a prophetic revelation for you. Healing is the children's bread. 
This Wednesday, I'm calling anybody in our church that's willing to, we're gonna do, I'm calling for a day of prayer and fasting for healings. All day long on Wednesday. We pray in this. We have a prayer set in the morning. We got a prayer set in the afternoon. At noontime, we'll have a surge happening that night. But all day long on Wednesday, anyone in our church willing to pray and fast, we're going to pray and fast because next Sunday, I'm going to preach part two of this. Children is the, the healing is the children's bread. And we're going to anoint with oil. We're going to pray. We're going to believe God for sicknesses that have been on people's lives for months or years to be healed in Jesus' name. On what basis are you doing that, Mike? On the basis of Jesus who said healing is the children's bread. I'm just going to ta- take him at his word. Je- she is saying, when I come to your table, even the crumbs are enough. This table, she recognizes it. This isn't just for the kids. This isn't just for Israel. This isn't just for Jews. This isn't just for Semites. This isn't just for men. This isn't just for women. This isn't just for the educated. This isn't just for people of color. This isn't just for Hispanics. This isn't just for Easterners. This isn't just for Westerners. This is for everybody. Everyone's got a place at this table. Everybody has a place. Jesus, I, re- I recognize something. Maybe no one else sees this. I see what's up here. The master is in this Canaanite territory. I'm getting mine. Church, I kind of want us even showing up at church on Sundays like, Lord, someday someone's going to be in need. And if it's me today, I'm com- Lord, I'm going to grab a hold of the promises of God. I will not forget the benefits of the Lord. You get a new job, you say, hey man, what are the benefits of this job? They're like, well, you get one day off a year. Bad job. What are the benefits? Well, you, you don't get Labor Day. You don't get Memorial Day. You don't get Christmas. You don't, those are bad benefits. You don't get health care. Those are bad benefits. I mean, a lot of us are way more in touch with the benefits of our job than the benefits of our kingdom. Don't forget the benefits of the Lord. Don't forget the benefits of the... Well, Mike, I haven't been feeling it. No, I get it. Because a lot of us aren't like her. We come and as soon as life calls us a dog, we give up. We stop praying. We stop asking. We stop pressing. This woman would not stop. Oh, I dare you to be like her. I dare you to press and press and press. and pr- I dare you to be like Jacob who went to the angel of the Lord and he came and said, you're going to bless me. He said, no, I'm not blessing you. I'm going to take off. I'm, I'm out of here. And Jacob grabbed hold of him and said, I will not let you go until you bless me. The angel said, I won't. He said, oh, yes, you will. He said, no, I won't. He said, oh, yes, you will. Jacob got turned into Israel because of that wrestling match. Some of you are better at you know, WWE and all this than you are the wrestling. We need some Jacobs in this church. We need some Canaanite women in this church. We need some of the women that had the issue of blood in this church. She kept on saying and saying, uh, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. If I could just touch the hem of his garment. I hear lots of people online saying, I tried that and it didn't work. No, what they tried was a quick little superficial, very fragile, I won't keep going. Someone call me a dog, I'm gonna quit. Someone give me silent treatment, I'm done. This woman said, no, no, no. I recognize something about this table. I know it may look like God is bad on the outside, but I recognize there's something good here on the inside of this kingdom. Dale Bruner said, faith is holding on to Jesus for dear life, like a drowning person to a life raft, believing that Jesus is good even when his words do not seem to be. Mike, how do you know Jesus is good? Because of the bloody cross and the empty tomb. 
when life makes me feel like God is calling me a dog, I remember that at this table, crazy things happen. At this table, wild things happen. When you come to this table, sinners get turned into saints and and dogs get turned into daughters. At this table, demonized children get healed. At, At this table, things don't stay the same. At this table, and I'm daring us and I want us to be like that. And you know what? Sometimes it seems like the waiting line is too long. I'm not waiting 15 minutes to get it out back. I'll go somewhere else. And so we settle. We settle for Zaxby's when God had a steak for us. I shouldn't name names of places. <laughs> but there's a table. Oh, the t- can I just brag on the table of the Lord? There's no table like the Lord's table. There's no person like the Lord himself. There's no presence like his presence. There's no kingdom like his kingdom. There's no voice like his voice. There's no power like his power. There's nothing like the table of the Lord. Man, I'm, just, I'm jealous for us to know the goodness and the greatness of the Lord. And when he seems to be disappointing us or putting us off, just rest assured, there is a crazy theme in Scripture. Unclean people are strangely drawn to Jesus when they're willing to admit they're unclean. And they don't stay that way. <laughs> I love the table of the Lord. Mike, how do we apply this sermon? It's, it's really Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4.16 says this. It says, Let us therefore with boldness or confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Here's the application of this sermon. I want you to come humbly and boldly. Humbly and it almost seems contradictory. It's not. Come humbly. I know I'm a dog. I know I don't deserve it. But come boldly. He doesn't keep me as a dog. And he makes me his child. I come humbly. It's, it's mercy. In, in other words, I'm coming to the table. And, and, here, and, here's, and let me read you a quote that kind of pulls it together for me from Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, In Western cultures, we don't have anything like this kind of assertiveness. We only have assertion of our rights. We don't know how to contend unless we're standing up for our rights, standing on our own dignity and our own goodness and saying, this is what I'm owed. But this woman is not doing that at all. This is rightless assertiveness, something we know nothing about. We tend to say, God, give me this because I deserve it. Give me what I deserve. That's not what she's saying. What she is saying is, Lord, give me what I don't deserve. And I'm telling you, man, Jesus is so attracted to people that are willing to say, God, I'm coming, and I know I don't deserve it, and I know I'm unclean, and I know I'm a Canaanite, and I know I've worshiped all kinds of false gods. I deserve nothing, but I'm not gonna let you go. I'm gonna lay a hold of this because I sense something about this table of yours. It is a throne, it is a table, it is a kingdom of grace. And grace is where you give gifts. Gifts are not what you deserve. Gifts are what the giver decides to give. There's something about this kingdom and this table and this king and this Messiah and the Savior. She says, uh, what Americans, Americans say, give me what I deserve because I'm so good. She says, Lord, give me what I don't deserve because you're so good. And that's where the pin drops, man. I know I deserve nothing. I 
I remember, man, I've, been in, I've had times in my life when I've just been in bad places. And I remember one time I went to one of my spiritual leaders and I just waited for him. And I, and I just, you know, I said, I, I'm, I'm laying my heart out. I'm laying my life out before you. And I've, I'm, I'm just in need. Like, I'm, I'm not going to stand on my, my goodness or anything. And I, I laid out my heart and I confessed my sin. I confessed my struggles and I remember the feeling when he just opened his heart. He embraced me. And, and he said, oh, Mike, there's so much grace and mercy for you. I, I, I need to say this because this was after I was a Christian already. How many of you know that you need the grace and mercy of the Lord after you believe? I, I'll never forget the feeling of when he opened his arms and he said, oh, the tent of the Lord is so wide. He said, you're not trying to justify yourself and therefore the Lord is going to justify you. There's, there's no table like this table, man. Like the tables of the world, they're all about karma and you get what you deserve and stick it to the other person and cancel them. And, and, and the table of the Lord, she's like, even the crumbs. My girl, Arella, she had this ear issue and she had to get tubes in her ears. And I remember, Ruthie, you were praying with her, I think. And, and, and she didn't want to have the doctor to have to do a procedure to take them out. And so she, was, she said, let's just pray about it. And, and Arella would pray. It wasn't every single day. Every single day. Lord Jesus, don't make the, don't, please don't make the doctors take the tubes out. Like, you take them out. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a man of faith. I, I gotta, I'm supposed to believe in all this kind of stuff. There's a part of me that wanted her to forget about it. Because I'm like, hey, let's just be realistic. Realistically, you're going to have to do the procedure. That's how it goes. I don't want you to get your hopes isn't it interesting that faith is the substance of things hoped for and we keep on trying to keep everyone from getting their hopes up? And, and the way we're even raising our kids, like, hey, kids, like, the, 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 the reality is 99.999% of the time, God's gonna say no, God's gonna say ah, God's gonna give you a silent treatment, God's gonna call you a dog. And what we've done is we've trained everyone to stop praying. We've trained everyone to not be like this woman. The message of Jesus is, when it seems like I'm saying no, I want you to keep coming. When it seems like I'm not answering, I want you to, and every day, a month straight, she's asking and asking and asking, but the tubes did not fall out. So they go in the doctor and the dreaded procedure, but when they get there, much to her delight, the tubes were right on the tip of her ears. The doctor was just able to... And didn't she look at you and she said, Mommy, Jesus did it. Because this table, I'm not saying we deserve it. We don't. We're asking for what we don't deserve. Not because we're good. Because he is. That's the whole sermon. Can you imagine how much the world would change? Our marriages would change. Our homes would change. Our roommate situations would change. If we stopped coming on our own laurels, and we acknowledged there's dog-like tendencies in us and we're coming and we are even, there's even a level of stubborn, persistent, demanding God next Sunday, heal the sick, heal those that have cancer, heal diabetes, heal sickle cell anemia, take all sort of colitis and remove it from people's lives in the name of Jesus Christ. But I'm not asking because we deserve it. I'm asking because he deserves it. 
It's not by our stripes that we're healed. It's by his stripes that we're healed. It's not by our goodness. It's by his. But I'm tired of living a Christian life where I'm constantly forgetting the benefits of the Lord. And I'm calling you to do the same. Here's the irony of the passage, and this is where I end it. Jesus goes to the only time he leaves Israel to go into Gentile territory. And he goes and he tells a woman, I've only come for the Jews. And yet right after this passage, you're going to see he goes right back to the Sea of Galilee and he goes right back to Israel. It's very clear, although he's telling her it's not about you, as far as I can tell, this trip was all about her. Because Jesus loves to take dogs. And when they come to his table, they do not stay dogs. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Well, Jesus said he's only coming for the, for the believers. What's he doing there? Because the woman came to get her daughter healed and in the process, she got converted on the spot. Because when you come to his table, it's always more than you ever imagined because there's no one like him. It's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. How can Jesus say this? because he's gonna pay for the bread himself, because he is the bread of life. He's gonna go up on a cross where he's gonna pay the ultimate price. He's gonna die, he's gonna rise. And everyone who looks at him like that, they don't stay dogs and they don't stay unclean and they don't stay cursed and the demons don't stick around. And I just wanna to announce to us as a church, freedom and deliverance and healing and wholeness and hope and power and authority and destiny. If we'll come humbly, he's gonna lift us up. Let's pray.